Space, the final frontier. These are the voyages of the Starship Enterprise. Its continuing mission to explore strange new worlds, to seek out new life and new civilizations, to boldly go where no one has gone before. Hey, Aaron here, and we're back with another fantastic commission podcast. This time, all credit goes to Jamie T, long time listener. She might go mm-hmm. back, like, I don't, either the first season we did of Game of Thrones, maybe even to Breaking Bad. I know that she was a uh, a, a day one supporter when we did our first Kickstarter. Yeah. Uh, she uh, was a, uh, she, I, she, and she wanted us to do, uh, she was one of the ones voted for us to do a Mystery Science Theater 3000 type riff tracks treatment on Star Trek The Next Generation. Yeah. Which it took us a long time to deliver, but we finally did. We did it on season one, episode seven, called Justice. Justice, the one where Wesley gets a boner uh-huh. and trips on it and falls into a the weed stash, sacred weed stash. Yeah. Um, where can you find that on? I don't think it's anywhere. I don't think you can. No. Like, unless you were a supporter of Kickstarter, we ought to actually make that. I don't know if the, the Kickstarter people would be up in arms if we just made that a club ball move offering. Yeah, but I, I still think it's funny. There's a couple lines in there that, that, that to this day crack me up. Mm-hmm. Um. But yeah, she wanted us to do, uh, this is like, it's hard for us to do television we haven't seen. And we've debated about like not doing television or taking television off the table. But I hate to do it for precisely this reason. Every once in a while, uh, someone will pitch us something that we are eminently qualified to talk about in a satisfying way. One of these things is the series finale of Star Trek The Next Generation. Yeah. Two-part series, all good things, uh, which is fantastic. And... Mm -hmm. Let's. We did this on Star Wars. Let's talk about our Star Trek bona fides, Jim. Okay. I am an OG fan. My dad was a fan of the old series. I used to watch it on Saturday mornings with him. Damn. Um. I I took to the Next Generation when it first came out, uh, like a duck to water. I didn't even know that it was terrible because yeah, I was yeah. I was a kid. I read all. I've like the first ten years of Star Trek: The Next Generation novels. Read them all. I own the fucking technical manual. Yep. Uh, it has my name written on it with a with a stylized Star Trek insignia thing. Like <laughs> I, I was really, really a deeply profound Star Trek nerd growing up. Yeah, um, and I have almost an encyclopedic knowledge of the first of the, the old series and Star Trek: Next Generation. You really do. You, I mean, your Star Trek: Next Generation knowledge is second to none, man. I like I, you'll pull out you. references to. You know, middle of season three stuff. <laughs> like I'm like, okay, I don't remember that one. See, I I didn't get into it like right off the bat either. Right. I was I was one of those people who came in. You know, I, I was younger, sure, so sure. this was kind of aimed at you know late teens, I'd say, mm-hmm. um, more so than than the age I was when it came out. So I got into it like maybe season. I would say you four get a lot more, a, a lot of different things out of it. And oh yeah, in my formative years, it's weird because I was Jehovah's Witness watching this, and I mm-hmm. did a lot of um, recording this thing on VCR. Like I, I had tapes yeah. and tapes of uh, this stuff. Bootlegs. Uh, yeah. Uh, well, there weren't bootlegs. I mean, Sony versus the people of America. Like that's a, no, it's my God-given fucking right to record shit off the TV. So is it a bootleg when you sell it? 
I think so. Okay, or that's if you, if I, that's bootleg status. If I give it away, yeah, yeah, yeah. Oh, just giving it away. Okay, um, hmm. but no, I I thought it was interesting because they hit. There's a lot of evolution, and like you see the yep. birth of life, and like my mental shields were such that like I could. I could hold the idea that evolution was true in the Star Trek universe, hmm. but also like, man, I just really wish they didn't <laughs> didn't have these false beliefs. But it's seeing it, it's like, like, like the big idea of Q scooping up the birth of of life on Earth is really heady and cool. It, it's cool. It's a little disturbing too, right? Like this yeah. dude is just dipping his hands into primordial human uh, goo, and because Picard fucked up, like uh, it's not even going to happen now. Sure, good. sure. I mean, when you see that scene, you're like, well, what is, is it the fact that there was this temporal anomaly, the thing that messed up humanity, or that he dunked his fucking hand into it? Like, <laughs> maybe Q planted the first seeds of humanity in that his, action, his hand, you know? His hand was covered in, like, uh, the alcohol-based wipes, you know, okay. what, what do you call that stuff? The, the hand sanitizer, and he put it yeah. in there, and that just killed everything, sterilized the planet. <laughs> Oh crap! I forgot. I just sanitized my hands. Oops. <laughs> he he throws up in it, and then we're all super advanced Q people. Yeah, but so that's my relationship with Star Trek: Next Generation. Got into it real big, uh, somewhere in the middle of its run, and have been a fan ever since. I've also read a lot of the Star Trek novels, sure, uh, specifically Next Generation. Uh, I still remember like Dreadnought as being one of my favorites. Oh yeah, I, I love probably that with the super got shielding you. and yeah, I um. Man, there's some really good ones. Like all the Peter David ones are really good um, because I didn't pay attention to the authors. Mm, they're they're epic and they're usually epic in scope, and they're also funny. Okay. There's another one, Metamorphosis. That I uh, the, the giant novels, like because you had the run of the mill novels, are like two three hundred pages. Yeah, and then you have the giant novels that come mm-hmm. out once a year, and they were like double of those, and it mm-hmm. was always like something badass happening. Like Borg got their hands on the dreadnought. You like I think this is what you're talking about. The Borg? No. That you know that new tro- No, I this was what- a, a rebel, a renegade commander of, uh-huh. of some level. I don't know. He he was either a captain or an admiral or something, and he took the most advanced ship in the fleet. And oh then yeah, yeah, yeah. They had to go stop it, and it had like a basically a Spock in it. It had another Vulcan who you're, was the first officer. You're talking about dread? Yes, yes. A, a dreadnought. I'm talking about. I think it was called N- Nemesis. Oh, okay. And it was oh, that about, was the sec- wasn't that a sequel? To that Dreadnought? was essentially a victim of the Borg got there in the old series. There was this thing, the, this planet killing that was like, and it looked like a giant space turd or a space cigar. It had a neutronium uh-huh. hull and it could eat planets. Well, that was like the test version, and she found the full scale version, and her plan was to turn that against the Borg. And huh, okay. it was fucking badass. Yeah. And then the one like Metamorphosis was where Data gets turned into a human by some alien godlike power and what his life was like as a human. Huh. And I Data is my by far my favorite character in Star Trek. Yeah. And, uh, you know, you got deep dives in other characters. There the were novels. some really bad ones with like Riker and Troy. Yeah. Uh, I remember there being a terrible novel with them. Um, Imzadi. That's what it was. Uh-huh. I hated that. I hated that. <laughs> um, no, it was the worst. It, it was, I don't know. It kind of like was romantic for a 14-year-old boy to read. Like a very it's, immature notion of, of love. I guess so. Yeah. And also, but but it's cr- so cringy when they call each other that. It's like, oh, Himzati, God, yeah, yeah. You know, it's like Snookums <laughs> or Hubby. <laughs> 
Uh, it reminds me of like the Han Solo and Princess Leia diaries or whatever in the Star Trek, Star Wars. Courtship of Princess Leia. Yeah. Yeah. See, I, I got a near encyclopedia knowledge of that. Nice. Um, one other one, uh, another Peter David one, uh, Q in law where Troy marries Q. Okay. And she gains the power of the Q. And then somehow he turns on her and tries to take the Q power away, but he can't. Yeah, of course. And she just beats the shit out of him, like, across the galaxy in this one particular... And it's it's gut-busting hilarious. A heartwarming tale of marital abuse. (laughs) It it was. Universal intergalactic. It's hard to feel sorry for omnipotent beings going at each other, hammer and Yeah, we're not talking about any of that though, Jim. No, we're not. We're talking about all good things. Yeah. So, what do you think of this uh, this episode? It's everything. Uh, it's it's one of the perfect series finales. It's everything about Star Trek: The Next Generation. It's it's got the cheese. Uh-huh. It's got Picard going super saying Shakespeare occasionally, mm-hmm. acting crazy. It's got Data doing weird Data stuff. It's got. You know, Worf doing funny Worf stuff. It's got I mean, you hit Riker he- and Deanna being weird. It's You hit it on the head when you say, like, Data doing Data stuff and Worf doing Worf stuff. It's like, this is a this is a travel through the whole series, right? Like, that's the thing that makes it so special to me is the way it takes a look forward and tells you what these characters, uh, a potential outcome for these characters. Mm-hmm. You know, Data's a professor at Cambridge, I think it is. But the thing, it, yeah, sure. And, and, and then you look also back in the other direction, and you see the characters who they were. Where they and I think from. that's super interesting for a series finale. Yeah, and you can you slowly come to realization there's some rift between Worf and and uh, Riker, yeah. and and there's also a lot of funny gags that they don't even address. Like for example, Data's become a crazy cat lady. Yes. Uh huh. <laughs> <laughs> he has like one cat in the series, and yeah, then, yeah, spot. You know, twenty five years from now, he's, he's got, got all five, the cats, six cats, and a giant skunk stripe in his hair because that makes him look distinguished. Sure. No, it's yeah. um, and also you get to see Data in all his different, like his super naive, yes, like bu- um, Buzz Lightyear mode in the first thing where he doesn't get like idioms. random idioms. Like yeah. Data could very could really use an Urban Dictionary. Yes. Chip. Uh-huh. Like that would so like if he had basic internet access, he would be <laughs> ten times smarter. You it's, would think he would. It's like, too bad they don't have the internet in the twenty fourth century. Yeah. It really is. It's all just in the ship's computer. You'd think he could get a tap There's, into that. That's the thing. I I, I remember seeing uh, Michael Okuda and Rick Steinbach, who are the two guys most responsible for the technology okay. of the next generation era. Um, including Deep Space Nine, the movies and all that. And they said that's the one big thing they got wrong. They, like, nailed pads. They nailed, like, the concept of isolinear chips, things <laughs> getting smaller and smaller. The one thing they didn't see coming is, like, a global interconnected internet. And that would be yeah. even more so in the future. Oh, yeah. So they just made, like, the Enterprise is essentially a flying, super-duper-duper-duper-cray computer. I mean, it's all based on, you know, Navy technology, too, right? Yeah. Like, so you got submarines, which... You know, back in the day, didn't really connect to the home bases in the way they do today and stuff right. like that. Yeah, I can see why they might not have expected that. But no, I think it... 30 it, years ago. It had like a neat emotional punch because it was endearing. Like, there's some problems with it because as Jamie asked us, she has just sent us some, some pre-back on this, pre-feedback. Um, it's hard to swallow the crew from the first timeline where Picard mm-hmm. just came on and took command of the ship, swallowing all the things he asked him to do. Yeah. And yeah, it, he gives a rousing speech though. You know, he's like, 
I don't know. We if need a, to go into the heart I don't of the know storm if a, because if he you didn't trust get, me, right? I didn't get the uniform tug. Uh, so okay. like if he yeah. got the because he was wearing the classic season one jumper, yes. you know, he needed the uniform tug to really sell it on that, and he, I didn't mm-hmm. get it. And then in the future, it's it's just the crew's af- joint affection for him that carries them through the day. But like also, there's a very real debate about: it. is he just having a crazy grandpa moment? Yeah, I like, think. Are that's we following a awesome. madman? And I mm-hmm. thought it was. Yeah, me too. I thought that was really great. Yeah, because I mean, I don't know; those things could be indistinguishable from one another. Um, a couple things like Jordy, like, okay, he's got his new bionic eyes, which they carried through in the, the films as well, which was, that's a nice little touch, but he marries Leah Abrams. I don't know. I buy that. I don't Who know. Is Leah she, Abrams? I don't remember. She was the holodeck advisor that he conjured up when they were having warp core problems and he fell in love with her. Oh, she's from the past, right? Like she's no been no she's, dead? no no she's actually a real person she's the one oh. I think to design the the warp engines on the Enterprise but he conjures huh. her up to help her work through uh, work through a problem that he has and he falls in love with her okay and then the real Leah Abrams comes to visit him and he has this expectation that they're going to be romantically involved and she's she like she doesn't even know him no well not only that but she's not the exactly the character that she is in the holodeck because in the holodeck huh. you know. I'm not sure. I, I guess what they're going for is that, you know, like you and I, the way we interact are not the way I would interact with some random dude that came up to me on the street. Of course. Yeah. And there is there. And is, also, I could imagine like a diverging personality between a hologram and a person who's living certainly. a life, you know, because the holodeck is essentially enabling you to do whatever you want to do. And if that's to dick down the designer of the Enterprise's warp core, it's probably going to oblige you. Well, I, also the idea that. You know, we are part our experiences, at least. Uh, the person could be significantly changed from who they are when yeah. the holodeck image was taken, you know? Right, right, right. When uh, their their brain dump was made. Yeah. And then the other thing, it's like, so if you first meet somebody and you found out that, like, because that's the thing, the punch in that episode is she eventually calls up Jordy's recordings of their holodeck session and sees... She falls in love with their relationship? No, she's horrified, like you would be. <laughs> okay, good. Like, oh my god, good. you've cloned this thing that's not me and you've fallen in love with it, and I've fallen, like, it's gross. Like, if you... I don't think that you can recover a relationship from that. Yeah, I would think, like, holodeck history should be the number one privacy concern right yeah yeah and yeah it's like i don't don't look at my holodeck yeah please god do not computer erase all erase all historical files of everything that i've done in this it's unspeakable um and and call a hazmat for a full decontamination but yeah i that rung a little false to me Hmm. because especially since jordy i don't know why but jordy was like every like every writer's imagining of what it was like to be a teenage boy. He was so spectacularly unlucky with women women mm-hmm. at all times, but so kind of in command of the rest of his life in other areas. That's that's the one thing I thought was kind of false. I mean, okay. You know, Worf being uh, uh, some kind of uh, council member, retired council member on Klingon, thought it was great. Picard being ambassador, awesome. Riker being an admiral, right on. Yeah. I even like the idea that Beverly and Picard had a tor a a, a uh, what do you call that a a stormy relationship like okay. you know Rocky. they, they, yeah. they the, but because they're such strong personalities and he's kind yeah. of like you know the captain at all times but 
and it didn't work, but they still have all this affection for each other. I like, sure. I even like that. Yeah, no, they're, the relationships felt very natural. I, I didn't have a problem with him, you know, going back to his crew and saying, Hey, I'm traveling through time and then believing him. I mean, maybe the crew from the earliest time period in this, I have a little bit of a problem, but I, I don't have a problem with the, the crew 25 years in the future, uh, believing him, Mm -hmm. right? Like think of how much they've been through together. This is not the craziest thing they've ever seen as a crew. So him coming and saying, I'm traveling through time is not an immediate whatever, dude. Yeah. Yeah. It's more like, okay, let's figure out why. Yeah. And that, that, that rung very true to me. Whereas the crew in the beginning, you're right. That's like that's the one thing Jamie says here that I totally agree with. It's like a, a, a single speech from a guy who's looking around the cargo bay or the the hangar bay, yeah, calling red alerts when he first gets there. There's a lot of weird behavior going on. I think that, and imagine his reputation. So exactly, if, if he takes this ship into this anomaly. Mm-hmm. And it doesn't work. Imagine the reputation that this captain would have, right? Like, the ship is just destroyed. First mission in, he called a red alert. He went straight into the heart of Anomaly and blew everybody up. Ranting about a cue that never existed. <laughs> it would be amazing, the stories that would be told on Earth. Yeah, yeah. Um, I, I I, fully agree. Um, and, it, again, the crazy grandpa. But the middle crew implicitly trust. Because you're right. Like, is this any crazier than the time they all devolved? No. No, it's it's similar. Yeah, the time they all evolved actually. Yeah, yeah, and there's a lot of like really like that poor Asian sick bay yeah. crew member had a forced temporal abortion. Uh-huh. And Bev was like, "Yeah, she's okay. We'll give her some Tylenol for a cramping. She'll be she'll 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 be back to duty. No problem. Just as long as she doesn't devolve. You know? Yeah, like she I, doesn't de That was curiously callous of her. Yeah, like and you can mm-hmm. and that woman's like acting like. I don't know, kind of shell-shocked about it. And that's something I didn't get as, like, a 14-year-old boy or whatever I wasn't watching it. But, like, watching it as a yeah. I'm like, holy shit, this is brutal. It is. I guess when it you're is. talking about the entire universe being devolved, then, you know, one person's uh, miscarriage is, is small potatoes. But And they but get damn. around that at the end. I think this this serves a purpose, right? Like, this kind of magical wand at the end that waves everything back to... A normal time serves a purpose for Picard, essentially. Yeah, who, of course, and and the rest of his crew. You know, you you get the impression that he told them all the story. Yeah. Um. After he fixed the anomaly and went yeah. back to a single time, um, and that they all believed him and they bought in, and now they all have a greater appreciation of the the time that they have, right? Mm-hmm. And that's that's really the story is appreciate the time you have because it's all you have. Mm. That, that that's what I think the heart of the story is. You know. Yeah. Well, that's kind of like a a meta message to the the watchers. Meta message to the watchers. I'm, yeah, oh, like oh, enjoy the, the you know the audience members. The, it's yeah, called yeah, all viewers. good things for Christ's sake. Mm-hmm. Um, yeah, and it's weird because a lot of shows don't do this kind of stuff nowadays. Like I'm, we're going to do a narrative that's ex- explicitly designed, especially stuff that's not serialized. It's it's just uh, what do you, episodic. Yeah. Almost never do you get this kind of complete, like, mini movie to kind of wrap things up. Um, but I thought that was interesting. And then as a kid, I felt like this was pretty unsad. I remember being bummed out. Like, I'm watching, you know, Picard go really? around his crazy grandpa. And, like, the plot with Q didn't really make sense. And hmm. 
I none of the stuff about the conflicts of the characters and the meaning really reso- resonated. And I remember, yeah, I we were talking about uh, eight years ago. Um, <laughs> we were playing Magic the Gathering or whatever, and it uh-huh. just so happened that we both. I think it's probably because Next Generation was on Netflix or whatever. But like you, me, and another guy that we were hanging out with had all kind of within the last month or two watched coincidentally all good things. And it spontaneously talked about like what a great finale it was. And I remember thinking like, wow, my feelings about this finale has completely turned around. Yeah. Um, I think it's, you know, perspective. Because it wasn't like there wasn't a lot of action. There was yeah. like you were expecting like a sci fi epic for the finale, weren't you? Yeah. As a kid. Yeah. Yeah, I think I was. Like, you know, like a best of both worlds only on steroids. Yeah. And this, it's like Riker shows up to blow away some Klingon cruisers at the end, but it's almost like, what are you doing? Yeah. You've got an Alzheimer's patient (laughs) rampaging in what used to be the neutral zone, and you just show up and blow away some Klingon battle cruisers. You start an intergalactic incident because of a a person who's known to be um, senile. I, I can see how if you're expecting this to be the conclusion to a sci-fi series, yeah. you would be disappointed by this ending. But I think... It's a lot harder of a sci-fi thing, premise. And it's yeah, also more yeah. about the characters. I, that, that's the thing. I, I think this serves as a more satisfying wrap-up for the characters and mm-hmm. for an audience who is concerned with that stuff. And that that's really what the show has been about, right? The relationship between these people and the crew. And that's why it works so well as a finale. Mm-hmm. Um, let's talk about some of the things that Jamie wanted to talk about. And then I just kind of want to go through, I took some, some notes in chronologic order, just my observations of the, 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 the show. Before we get there. Okay. I want to ask you one question. Um, do you think that they've had this in their back pocket with Picard sitting down playing poker with these guys, the whole series? No. Or is that something they just said, you know, what would be perfect here? No, but I, I bet after that started becoming a thing because they, you know, they just had the thing one time and yeah. And, but then it's like, I remember when they had Stephen Hawking on and uh-huh. it's like, that's when I remember like, Oh, this is like a really cool thing. Um, I hope that's not the first time. Cause that would make me seem like an idiot. But anyway, I wonder like in season four, if they were started thinking about, you know, how this thing could wrap up, like when this thing starts running out of steam, having that be the final image. Because that's a, Maybe so. that's a brilliant thing about the episodic stuff is you can have a storyline and like this is how Star Trek's going to end. We know it's going to end because yeah. it's completely unconnected. Uh-huh. Like you don't – as long as you don't kill a, you know Picard off in season five, you can have that ending yeah. work just as well. And even or then, change their character such that – Patrick Stewart decides he doesn't want to renew his contract. You just kill him off, have Riker be the captain, and ba-boom. <laughs> you can have the same plot line. Could you? I, I mean Riker's at the table every day. Riker's doing the after hours oh, oh, poker show with But what you would do is you introduce the things and I'm the captain, I can't do that anymore. Ah, there you go. Because I will say D- distance him from the rest of the crew, alienate him. Here's the thing I think is interesting. When Picard sits down and says, I should have done this a long time ago, I'm not so sure he's right. Because I think there is Okay. At least in fiction, because I don't know what it's like on a real ship. But it seems like there is this really special relationship between a ship's captain. And the crew and even the ship's captain with like the first officer is almost like a mother father relationship with the ki- the, sh- the ship and its crew being their children. Yeah. And I've gotten that impression from reading like all the master and commander series, 
I've read a lot about Lord Cochran, who it's funny, we're talking about Star Trek and Cochran, but that was the real life inspiration for the Jack Aubrey character from Master and Commander and like Horatio Hornblower. And you look at Captain Picard, Kirk, all these archetypes. It's like they have a certain amount of aloofness because to the ship's crew, they're kind of like the father, God, big brother and and boss. Mm-hmm. all rolled into one kind of complex uh, emotional relationship, or at least a really good one. And sitting down and just having a poker night with the executive staff, I think would harm a little bit of that relationship if it was done frequently. I, I think you're right. Um, but I think this there's something about the nature of this crew in particular that kind of transcends that. I mean, it, Picard, yes, he has always been a little more standoffish than the rest of the crew, yeah. obviously. But I think in order for people to do what they're told in these extreme circumstances, there kind of needs to be that relationship. And maybe that's why it rings so false in the past when he's just meeting these people, um, that they would trust him enough to to go to their certain demise. Uh, I I think, I don't know, to me, the, the crew of this ship has always felt like a family more than a crew. It's interesting because Michael Dorn last week just coincidentally happened to do a Reddit IMA, IAMA, and he's – I don't know whether he is off his medication or he's on a medication or whether this is a genuine idea of his, but he's got the idea that he wants to relaunch Star Trek. It's been off the air for a long time since since Enterprise, which was terrible. Mm -hmm. Voyager, in my opinion, that's that's why I – Star Trek and Star Wars kind of went through a similar arc with me where they both destroyed my love for them. Yeah. Uh, like, I love, I think Deep Space Nine is in many important ways superior to TNG. I don't uh-huh. like it as much. As I don't a sci fi it epic, much. it's way better. But from, you know, like, Picard's better than Cisco. He just is. Oh, yeah. Data is better than Odo. Yeah. You yeah. know, uh, I guess D- DS9 Worf is better than TNG Worf. He's he definitely had more stuff to do. I like Dax better than I like Troy. Oh yeah, hands down. So hands down. Yeah, I mean there there are trade offs. Sure. Okay, but but yeah, I mean, but then like Voyager was a steep. St- I mean they they kept on trying to recapture the essential Kirk McCoy Spock angle, like that recipe. Like we just keep on yeah. mixing the ingredients of the outsider who can't understand humanity and the bold, dashing, brave captain and the kind of uh you know traditionalist authority figure they take they kept on swapping that stuff around and then they came with voyager and it just like <laughs> across the board like janeway like i love kate mulgrew she's killing it in orange and new black yeah terrible captain like objectively yeah. she is a terrible captain chakotay there are essays written on how bad she is she really her i mean just from a commander <laughs> level she's terrible yeah. uh paris terrible like he's yep. uh neelix oh my fucking god <laughs> it's amazing they could invent a character worse than wesley crusher they managed to do it and mm-hmm. not find a way to kill him off or get him out of there it's it's you know seven of nine seven of nine is the symptom not not the disease that's but, the thing like she's a but yeah. great character but 90 percent of the reason she's great is because she was super duper hot exactly and playing as like this kind of against type cyborg that wasn't aware of her own sexuality except for when it was comedically funny or appropriate and then enterprise like i watched four episodes of that oh. and i'm out it's bad like, this is just bad. terrible um yeah. where was i going with this i don't know man Shit. Something about the relationship oh, Michael with the, Dorn. the crew. Michael Dorn yeah. says it's time to bring back Star Trek, and my pitch is 
an older wharf who is a council member in Klingon, and we just could do a deep dive into Klingon culture and civilization. Because mm. thus far, you know, my criticism of of the Klingons are they're very one note. They are like it's almost Honor. racist. Like if they were a real race of people, you would say that is a stereotyped racist depiction of this warrior mm-hmm. culture with no nuance and no tone deaf. And in fact, the the best, the ideal Klingon is the Klingon that was raised by humans. Yeah. Uh, you know, it's it's there's a lot of interesting things to unpack about that. If I were a Klingon, I'd be insulted. I'd no shit, man. Yeah. No shit. Um, it's it's but but anyway, um, you know, Worf's and Uncle Tom, et cetera, et cetera. Um, he mm-hmm. wants to bring it back, and I'm like, that's an interesting idea. But one of the things he kept on saying in all of his comments is how the cast and crew of The Next Generation was, like, the most fun and the most friendly. Like, they'd go out to dinner, like, every okay. night. They'd have drinks. Like, uh, you know, I guess Patrick Stewart is a ham and a cut-up. And if you ever see, like, any sure. of the uh, many, many blooper reels that go around YouTube, it's like mm-hmm. they do seem like they're just having a – a tremendous amount of fun and you still see them interact on panels and stuff. They still seem like they love each other and they're like the best men in each other's weddings and et cetera, et cetera, all this stuff. Um, And he said like deep space nine was not like that at all. Oh really? Yeah. It was very Mm -hmm. professional, like no animosity, but extremely professional. Huh. I mean, I wonder if that's why it felt so special. Yeah. Like I wonder like what you're saying about Picard there, if that's actually part of that was that's, they got away with that because that's how they felt about each other. Could be. Could be. I don't know. That's definitely the impression I got watching the show is that this was not your typical crew. I mean, none of the Enterprise crew, regardless of time period, are the typical crew, right? Sure. They're all better at something than anyone else in the galaxy. Yeah, like Jordy shows up on France and Earth and he's an expert in horticulture and he can tie up yeah. vines and no, no no instruction. He just like, yeah, give me that shit. I'm start tying it up. Speaking of Why which, not? I love how they just, the only thing they do to dress that vineyard set is put a fucking antenna. Just <laughs> plop it down. I don't know. Right next to Picard. It needs to be in it's, the it's, shot. He's got a farm moisture something. <laughs> yeah. I don't know. It's a moisture like farm. That. But yeah, that's yeah. literally it. It's just a vineyard with a metal <laughs> antenna in it. All right, should we get the Jamie stuff? Yep. Um, since she did pay for this thing, uh, she wants to know: Do you like Deanna with Worf? Deanna with Worf or Riker? I like her with Worf. Riker is a little too much of a ladies' man, too much of a player for me. Like Riker's Riker is a little shifty. Well, plus. I also love how the movies betray like, and it's a, it's the terrible movies. I think it's Insurrection where they got married. They betray this idea of like Riker with Worf saying, you know, like I learned I'm not going to screw up. I'm not going to interfere in your relationship. Uh-huh. Flash forward a few years later, Riker and Troy are getting married. Yeah, it's. <laughs> I'm telling you, man, that Riker is no causality. Good. You can't escape it, man. <laughs> Riker's a dog. Yeah. He's a dog. Uh, he is. So I like her with and Worf poor better. Worf. He's uh, he's honorable and loyal to a fault. So yeah. he's gonna just walk right into that trap every single time. Like he's <laughs> wily coyote. Uh huh. I do. I like. I I always liked Worf's pairing. I really liked Worf and Jagzia. Yes. I felt like they were surprisingly. I felt like they were physical equals in a in a certain weird way. She. I think it right? comes down to that. Ter- What's her name? Terry something. Or else. She had this like. I don't remember her name. 
physical presence yeah. where you felt like she could probably stand toe-to-toe in a Klingon lovemaking session. And you'd more. always see him, you know, practicing their battle techniques and yeah. stuff like that together. And She you... had five lifetimes of, like, warrior training, essentially. And, yeah. and Klingon, the culture, like, she is as close to a cultural Klingon as you can get. So I thought, I totally bought that. Yeah, like, I, I felt... Like they were very bedroom compatible, and then when know? they brought the tween version of ja- of Dax, yeah, uh, that not, was a little tougher. <laughs> that didn't that didn't, that didn't really work for me. Mm-hmm. Um, but no, I thought Deanna and Worf is interesting. I thought Riker and Deanna are always kind of cringeworthy. I, I never thought they had really good chemistry either. Whereas I hear yeah. Michael Dorn is was like the like the the, the trim Reaper. Like what? <laughs> Will Wheaton in his book talks about how like Michael Dorn was just tearing through the extras on a like weekly all basis. of the ensigns, just a new ensign pops up and Michael or an Dorn's... alien in a gold bikini. It's uh... hey, uh, how do you, would you like to ride in my private jet that I've got here, and we'll just go. You know, that's right. He's a pilot, isn't he? He is. Yeah, I don't he owns he several, jet, but he does. He actually he has uh, a jet. He owns a military jet. Oh my god! It's like some kind of Russian trainer that's very popular in civilian aviation. Hmm. Um. But yeah, surplus so auction. We're big, uh, big Diana War fans here. Uh, she also says, "I've seen this fifth episode fifty times. I've never fully Jeez. understand what's happening at the crux of this episode." Did you just judge her? No, I, that's a lot. I've seen <laughs> stuff fifty times, just not <laughs> yeah, this. I was gonna say, uh, yeah, because say, look, look, Godfather and Matrix. Um, <laughs> she says, "As in, what is Q needing to prove, and how did Picard fulfill that goal? Was the anomaly just part of a test?" Or was that a real danger to the human race and all races, really, that Q was helping Picard figure out? Saving a race from wiping itself out wasn't really part of the original trial. Basically, I still don't quite get the underlying point of this episode. Jim, I feel like I have a good handle on it. I want to see what you have. And then okay, we'll, I, we'll compare and contrast. I feel a little more shaky on this because I've never quite understood Q's motives. I think that Q, you know, Q has a certain connection to Picard in some mm-hmm. way. I'm not sure what that is, but he's curious about Picard. He's he gives him a little more leeway than he would give other people, other races perhaps. Um and I felt like this was him helping Picard figure out something that was going to destroy the human race otherwise. So I didn't feel like this was necessarily a test, more of like a here you go, like a, a breadcrumb leading you down the path to saving your civilization. Although, th- but that's he the, mentions the beginning of the series where, yes, it was in fact set up as a test, right? Like, this is the test to see if humanity can ever progress beyond yeah. what it is now. And I, but, but I can't, I can't reconcile that um, kind of test thing with the idea that he has a certain affection for Captain Picard. Hmm. Okay, so here's my, here's my meta-analysis. I think that the Q continuum is to 24th century humanity, or maybe it's 23rd century humanity, um, what 23rd century humanity is to a pre-warp civilization. Like they're seeking out, exploring new life. Prime Directive says we can't interfere with their technological development. As soon as they get warp technology, we show up with diplomats and say, would you like to join the Federation? That's what Q essentially is. Like okay. We are always on the lookout for intelligent life ready to make the next step in their evolution and welcome them into – I don't think the Q continuum is a single race of beings that made the jump to transcendence. I think they are you know, multiple races and cultures that have done that in the you know, billion year, billions year history of our universe. Yeah. Okay. So humans are like that kind of 
threshold warp civilization they made contact and so they've been found worthy everything else is seen as a test to get them to try to make that jump and essentially q caused picard to make the anti-time anomaly that threatened to destroy them like like it didn't exist until Q told them to go look for it. Yeah, yeah. They caused it and then retroactive is going to destroy all of the I guess galaxy and universe. Um and Picard had to think non-linearly and across times kind of in a very you know an interstellar type of, you know, Matthew McConaughey way like he had to stretch his brain to think about how I can affect the future from the past and time can be kind of getting a very tiny glimpse of what it's like to be the Q. It is very like rudimentary time travel. Kind and of I stuff. think that's what Q said. And I think that's one of the things that I'm kind of slightly disappointed at at the end. He gives a speech about like, you just peeled back the first layer of the veil of reality mm-hmm. and wait till you see your next adventures. And Star Trek then never really travels that path again. Like what? What is the what is the outcome of the test? But whether we pass or fail, I think he he humanity in in the form of Jean Luc Picard mm-hmm. is nudged ever closer towards a singularity event where we transcend and become Q. So how many tests are there? When do you peel back all the layers? Well, and like say Q we're says, Q, they never like, end. Like, because here's the thing, like, there's another thing about the, the Q continuum. They're just technologically and sociologically and culturally stagnant species. Sure. They've been at a standstill for eons, and they explore that in, in Voyager, I think. Maybe it's Deep Space Nine, where they go, and they they go to the Q continuum, and it's like this old, you know, one-horse town that's dusty, and yeah. nobody can get off the porch, and it's just all stagnant. But they have kind of like the civil war with people like Q, like we need fresh blood, we need new ideas versus the old guard. It's like, let's just wait for the heat death of the universe. Yeah. How likely is that civil war to have broken out essentially at the exact same time that we are focusing on our heroes? I guess it depends on your view of time. That's also like an interesting thing is like, is the Enterprise just a magnet for weird shit or does every Federation starship have the equivalent of these adventures? (laughs) You know, yeah. I mean, I've always, I've always thought, you know, it's the flagship. And like, like humanity is a facing an extinction level event every day, and there is some starship yeah. out there putting it into it by flipping a proton coil or extending a tachyon field or collapsing a warp bubble. Something. That's the thing, right? How how many years long is their mission? Is it a five year mission? It's a continuing mission. It's a conti- Okay, the first one was a five year mission. Because uh, I was going to say it's, you know, it's seven years into a five-year mission. Mm-hmm. That would mean that at least like 20, like something like 30 yeah. different things would have happened. So, yeah, I mean, I, I don't know. The the amount of aging that they've done, I guess, shows you only about seven years. But uh, but no, I thought that's – and I, I don't know. There's a little bit of uh, – I, I haven't thought of this enough. But I also thought maybe that his – syndrome that's like space alzheimer's was a symptom of q trying to warp his noodle could be you know it's like it's one of the few diseases that have no apparent cure in the in the future other than old age also seems like it's a bitch it's a bitch yeah to solve but like you know and and male pattern baldness Mm -hmm. also no cure just need some anti-time pills man (laughs) just just swallow a couple of those and yeah why wasn't wake up why was picard growing hair man 
They had people undoing scar tissue. Fetuses were turning back into constituent proteins. Baldness, and... also the other thing that that's what I'm, I'm saying. Completely unaffected by time. Just <laughs> you know that that's supernatural. Yeah, yeah. Um, but no, I, I that's my my theory is that this was the test is no longer is humanity worthy. It's now evolve already. Like this is the this is the equivalent of us shocking protein soups in a lab to try to get you know rna to fold and make membrane like i want to see this life actually happen that's that's what's my take on it okay i don't know the answers your question jamie but that's that's as good as you can get when you got q involved um she also we already talked about the plot hole about the earliest characters trusting picard to the point of killing themselves Mm. um so they make it a big point in the middle timeline that everybody's time like physical is impacts of this spatial anti-time anomaly right but in the earliest timeline where it's even larger and more powerful the starship there's nobody saying like oh my scars are disappearing or oh yeah yeah you know mm-hmm. my I, i'm regrowing my pinky that got amputated seven years well, ago the, the with thing the i Cardassian think fight. the thing i think saves it there is nobody gives a shit about that right like picard isn't telling anybody anything that's true in the in the earliest time maybe line. crusher is just a buzz in the sick bay with all these. yeah like we got 60 patients in here all saying that their kidneys removed kidneys are i don't have back time to and, explain this bullshit yeah, he's just like send us to the devron system yeah uh, full speed ahead engage he, he's literally not saying anything about what he's doing there which I don't know if that makes more sense or less sense with a crew who doesn't know you, right? Like, if you try to explain this, will they just think, oh, this guy is off his rocker? Mm-hmm. We're not doing anything he says. Whereas just barking commands at people might get them to just do things out of duty. Uh huh. I, I don't know. I mean, which which would be the more advisable strategy there? But clearly the one he takes is just, I'm not going to explain this, just do it. Yeah, and I think that that... that carries the day up until you ask the whole crew to sacrifice yeah, themselves. Yeah, yeah. And not even... And that's the other thing. is like there's no talk of like... Because uh, another thing I liked about this episode is it really went for broke on visualizing some things that hadn't only been in technical man. It was like we saw like an Olympic-class starship, which was the medical research uh. vessel. We saw an actual Stardock with, you know, like the Enterprise just coming out of the bay and... We saw a lot of things like new models and stuff that we'd never seen before, new bridges and all that kind of stuff. Yeah. Um, if there was a time to separate the saucer and get the f- the family and the kids off, it's it's uh-huh. before you plunge into <laughs> the heart of this anomaly that you might not walk away from. They don't. That's the thing about the battle bridge and separation is like that's so cool, and they have the sequence. They could just Voltron it up. Yeah. Or they could, you know, Sailor Moon it up. Like, it's time to separate the disc. Boom, it's separated. Uh-huh. But they never do in later seasons, ever. You're right. It's bullshit. Yeah, I agree. That, that I, I felt like the crew would have swallowed it a little bit better, more if he had at least gone through the motions of like, well, at least your family won't die. <laughs> I'm a madman, but yeah. And nobody suggested it either, right? Like, yeah. Riker. Well, I guess Riker's away, so... Riker may be the only other guy who would be thinking about that stuff. I don't True. know. I thought it was really awesome how he starts giving security commands to Worf because yeah, he doesn't think of Tasha. Tasha as a security officer anymore because she's been dead so long. Yeah. Which that's is the other kind cool of awesome. thing that she actually came back. That's another thing I found in, in the Michael Dorn is that he seems like he's still miffed that Terry Richards or whoever the person that played Jaxia, they had a whole elaborate se- flashback sequences that they were going to show of Worf and her relationship and kind of a... 
mm-hmm. uh, you know, bring her back for one at a time. And because of some bullshit between her and her agent and the negotiators, that broke down and they couldn't do any of that stuff. Huh. And yeah. But I don't know, man. Like, I. Yeah. I sometimes wonder what, like, Denise Crosby and she thinks about their career decisions. Like, I get it. Like, you saw, you sat through the first season of Star Trek. It's pretty rough. Sure. If you'd stuck with that, like even Deanna got a decent yeah. number of plots. Even Crusher you'd got in, the fucking ghost in the candle plot. You'd probably be in some movies. Yeah. I mean, she's in movies, obviously, but you'd Pet probably Cemetery. be in Star Trek movies. Yeah. I mean, I don't know if that's a better career or not, but I don't know. It's like betting against Star Trek seems like even if you're not happy with all the plot. And that's the thing. If you're not the top three dudes or in Janeway's case, girls, you're not going to get a lot of screen time or you're to pull. Yeah. Um, but you will eventually get there. Like everybody gets, even freaking Neelix gets plot lines. Yeah. Gets whole episodes de- devoted to him. So, True. um, even Wesley gets a plot line nowadays. <laughs> you just have to stick with it. Come on, Denise. Yep. Uh, she also wants to know, I think we touched on this. Why did this anomaly shit suddenly inspire Picard to play poker with everyone? I think we talked That's about why. that. Sentimentality. Yeah. He goes, oh man, uh, my life is passing me by. Yeah. I need to enjoy the time I've got. Yeah. And and this is how I'm going to do it. Spending time with the people I love. Um, so here's some, some thoughts that I had as I was watching the episode. I thought it's funny that Picard, you know, stumbles out of his bedroom in his robe and he costs Deanna and Worf. And he's like, I'm jumping back and forward to time. Yeah. And it's like, you know, and, and like Deanna's not like captain. It's called reminiscing. Just calm down. You know, <laughs> like it's, it's, it's not. Everyone jumps through like some spatial anomaly, not just. Yeah, I think that's fair, though. Okay, I think with their experiences, spatial anomaly is more likely than Picard reminiscing. Frankly, uh, pu- publicly, anyway. What do you think of Grandpa Picard? I, um, he got so shouty. He got shouty, man. Not that, but Jordy, like he he talks about like Jordy just caved in and like, okay, crazy Grandpa, let's go see Data. And on the uh, way, he's like, hey, I I read your novel. I thought it was pretty good, but your main character, and he's you could tell he yeah. was about to launch into, like, your main character was flamboyant. The plot was unbelievable. The writing, oh, Christ, the writing. <laughs> it's like, man, he is a really harsh critic. Yeah, yeah, he didn't like that flamboyant character at all. I want someone to come in and, like, shit all over his amateur space archaeology. Like yeah. this, this, <laughs> these ancient stones you've got in your yeah. ready room. No, no, those are fakes. Yeah, those are totally poorly fakes. made Romulan fakes. What is worth your problem? <laughs> yeah, you can tell the difference. I hope between, you didn't pay much for those. You can tell the difference between synthesized caviar and real caviar, but you can't tell the difference between <laughs> fucking paper mache. That reminds me. I love the ceremonial masks. I, I love the Earl Grey tea hot. <laughs> yeah, program. tea Earl Grey hot. Uh, and, you know, it's a real person serving real tea. Right. And it's, then in the past timeline, the computer didn't have that program in its memory bank. Yeah, it's great. Yeah, pretty good. Because um, I assume that he's the one who put it in there, right? Like, he gets to the ship, sure. he goes, oh, my God, they don't have a real great tea hot? Yeah. Come on. And, I, Data, we need we need a recipe here. What did you think about the extremely short micro mini skirts that the female crew were rocking in the past? Except for Yar, she was wearing slacks because, of course, she would. I mean, is that is that all of them? I mean, if you look at the original Star Trek, they're just as short, no. I not get shorter. it. I yeah. get it. And like, I kind of merit it. I know that that was kind of the way things were, even in recent past, or maybe even currently. I think the the like the dress uniforms of female officers and most of the armed services in America still feature some sort of skirt. Really, um, but Weird. that seems very anachronistic to think that 
300 years in the future, we'd yeah. still be putting women in skirts and, and men or butch, butch, butch women with male haircuts and slacks. Yeah. Like I thought that was yeah. something, uh, you swing and a miss by the Roddenberry. Yeah. Yeah. Show is a product of its time. And, and it's really weird to have, okay. Because even when in encounter at Fairpoint, Deanna was wearing that really bizarre, it's not a Star Trek, uni- it's not a Starfleet uniform, it's like mm-hmm. um, some weird purple jumper. Yeah. And this was literally before they go to pick up Riker at Far- Farpoint, she's wearing the stock issue blue mini dress. Like, you didn't have to go there. Why did they? Just to know. keep it visually, I, I mean, you already have the lack of collars. Yeah, which is Mike. Like I, I feel like when Star Trek got good, that's when the collars popped. Uh-huh. Like if you if you look <laughs> if you look at Picard and he's wearing pajamas, that's probably going to be a bad episode. If you look at Picard and he's wearing like a cool just... jacket or he's got his collar popped, it's probably going to be a good episode. Yeah, and if if if, if also. Riker doesn't have a beard, you're hardcore fuck, because that's season one. That's the worst. Season two was pajama yeah. uniform and beard. <laughs> season three, beard pop collar. So All that's right. that's Perfect. buckle in if you see a clean shaven Jonathan Frakes. That's yeah. gonna be a terrible episode. Yeah, this is the one exception, right? You you do see him, you see him on a monitor, and they're talking to him like he's on Farpoint mm. and they're gonna pick him up. Yeah. Um let's see what other things we want to talk about. You got anything? Uh, I, I, it's gotta be weird for O'Brien thinking really Starfleet keeps this much data on me. They know about my model building hobbies. Like when Picard tries to pass it off as, Oh, I read it in the Starfleet. Records. Not only that, but okay. Creepy. Real creepy. Sure. You built your models and all that, but you're mm-hmm. a junior technical officer and you just got thrown into chief in like, I get it uh, that eventually he will become the chief engineer with years more of experience and training. Yeah. Like, I would love for him to have done all that and just blown the ship up because he just doesn't have the experience necessary to get the sure. job done. Uh, yeah, I thought that was a little, I thought that <laughs> like was a little weird. Asking too. a line cook to run a kitchen or something. Uh, I, and that's it. Like, in the previous timeline, when they warp to, in, when, when they warp, um, you know, to, I think it's empty space or whatever. And, and Picard on the bridge of the Enterprise just speaks to nothing. Says, Q, yeah. we're here. This has gone on long enough. Can you imagine what the original crew uh-huh. is thinking? And they yeah. admit, they didn't later follow him into death. And this was right after he called a red alert after looking around mysteriously, right? Mm-hmm. They, they've got to think something's up. But, you know, they're trained. They're well trained. Uh, the other thing about O'Brien, when, when he and uh, Data are talking in idioms that data doesn't understand yeah and picard is just looking on uh-huh. and going that's that the old data yeah that's the that's data as i remember him when yep. he like that's a beautiful moment i really like that it is um i also love when uh q and picard are playing 10 questions picard's face when when q genies him on a technicality of like, the uh, rules God, he's right uh he's like right. i <laughs> The f- I always thought it was interesting how hostile Picard is to this demigod. Because <laughs> he's fucked with him so much, right? I, but like- still, it's like like if 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 Jehovah's Armies came down and with a blazing chariot, you would be like, fuck off, you know? Not until he messes with you a few times. <laughs> After he asks you to sacrifice your firstborn a few times and he yeah, you know, yeah. does, does some stuff like cuts some capers like that, you'd you be might like, be like, fuck off. Hey, come on. Come on. We've been through this before. I know you're not going to make me kill him. Uh, you know that Romulan guy, Tomalak? Uh-huh. He's in, I think he's like half of the Romulans that we see. And I think he's really hmm. funny. And 
he almost reminds me of a Seinfeld character, unless his overall like facial exaggerations and kind of like uh, hmm. uh, you know the Federation doesn't approve. I like this plan already. <laughs> uh, you know, I, I expect him to throw confetti out of a bucket at some point. Hmm. Yeah, I, I don't know. He's on the screen so little uh, time during this episode. Uh, trying to think what the else. other line from Q that I'm a little confused by is that time he says time may be eternal, but our patience is not. If you're a being out of time, I would think your patience would be eternal, right? <laughs> like, yeah, you could kind of expect it to be. If you understand the universe in a deeper way, maybe you'd have a little more patience for for races that have not for species that have not figure that out yet do you think the q persona is part of like the first contact persona like he's actually a chill dude he's just being this way with all the theatrics to you know do whatever he's wanting to or monkey brains Hmm. maybe it's all it's all part of the plan yeah could be i thought some of the there's like a really smart way that okuda and sternbach came up with um, you know, uh, coming up with like a, a new way to revisualize warp technology where I'd like warp 10 was the absolute limit. Like that's infinite speed. And it's like all yeah. a logarithmic scale get approaching. Like you can, it's kind of speed of light. Warp 10 is the new speed of light. You can get, you can approach it, but never quite achieve it. And that was to get around the old series. Like, you know, cause they were running around warp 13 warps. It like, what does it all mean? Um, and they threw it out the window in the last episode when when Riker orders them to go to warp thirteen. Now, I remember hmm. like that slapping in the face, just like it did, because you know I was a, a devotee to technical manual. I'm like, what the? F- you cannot go to warp thirteen. That's yeah. like saying go one going one point three times the speed of light. Well, yeah, I mean it's like saying let's let's travel travel somewhere faster than Q can. Well, yeah. Q can do it instantaneously. If warp ten is infinite speed. You would actually end up backwards in time when you arrive there. Like, and, what and do you say? They never do that in anything else because, like, you know, they make a big deal in Voyager. Like, it's it's so efficient it can go like warp nine point nine nine seven. Yeah, yeah, and like all that kind of stuff. And you know, like Q can hurl the Enterprise at warp nine point nine 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 six or whatever. But uh, don't warp. That's like what? Why? Why did you do that? That's dumb. Because it's the future. And every number has to be bigger than the past. Yeah, but like I said, they got I away know, from that internally, and like just through, that still bugs me to this day. Yeah. Uh, how how do you think Troy died? Uh, I don't know. In a tragic Klingon sex accident. Or <laughs> um, just massacred her in the bedroom. I don't know. <laughs> I mean, I guess I'd always thought if I had to imagine something mm-hmm. that Riker did like you know showed up outside her apartment with a boom box and a trench coat mm-hmm. uh right before her and Worf were going to get together and she joined his ship on some dangerous assignment when he was a captain and she got killed in the line of duty and uh, Worf never because you know if she'd retired with him so angry in the Klingon Empire that wouldn't have happened to her yeah it seemed like the the relationship was severed in the other direction though right like Riker was the one kind of being huffy about the whole thing yeah to me um but who knows i I think it was probably some like ghost possession some she was possessed by as the spirit of some young boy or something and it flung her off a building (laughs) i don't i don't know it was probably in a candle yeah um what did you 
you, you talk about Picard being shouty, but it wasn't just shouty. It's like every single time, well, I guess we could go see Data. Yes, Data, that's the solution. Well, you know who's got the, some sway the Klingon Empire? It's Worf. Worf! Worf will help us! It's <laughs> like, like he was being led around by the nose that's, a little bit? That, well, I don't... It was just a curious choice. I get it that he's like Grandpa Picard. Yes. But, like, just how enthusiastic he was about every single... So, yes, of course that'll help us, you know? Or um, even in the other direction, you know, when somebody suggests maybe this is not working out, he's like, no, I know, for sure! Yeah, It's right. a thing we must do! Right, yeah, and then he got hypo-sprayed. That was pretty funny. <laughs> <laughs> You need yeah. you need to go back to bed, Captain. Oh man, that was pretty great. Um, I also I still think I come back to you know Q at the end saying just another spatial anomaly, just like another day in the office. Um, the trial never ends. We you are beginning now to chart the unknown possibilities of existence. Yeah, and then Star Trek never go. It's always back to the same spatial anomaly, and almost to the point where I, with Voyager and enterprise where they crawl up further and further their own asshole of techno babble it's just yeah you know spatial anomaly of the week it doesn't make any sense and it's just you know 40 minutes of lead up to them you know flipping some ice linear chip and solving the day or reconfazing their shields or whatever yeah it felt like they didn't necessarily understand what it was that made next generation so great but they laid i mean that's what i'm saying like I kind of like I yes, Worf and the Klingon Empire might be entertaining in a better call saw kind of way. It's not gonna okay. be the original product, but it'll probably be no. interesting if they do that. But what I would like to see is Star Trek like another hundred years in the future, and not like yeah. just different versions of tech, but actually humanity grappling with yes. the questions of what is it like to take the next step of of uh, you know, we've seen, you know, a single shot episode dealing with a character um, transitioning to a higher plane of being a higher level existence. But like, I want to see humanity go through a singularity. That's the thing. I, that would I be felt interesting. Like they dropped the crux of the mission, which was seek out new forms of life, new yes. civilizations to try to expand the scope of what humanity is. And instead, they they swapped it out for uh you know, tech issue of the week for monster of the week for that type of stuff, which was certainly in Star Trek, the next generation, right. but it was all in service of and that was all exploration at the and, time. and understanding that was all new. I mean, yeah, it'd been done before in the old series, but that had been years and years and years ago. I mean, and, and, Deep and it was Space done Nine, better Yes, of course. Deep space nine found a way to make that interesting in the form of the dominion war where you had this like, arc that you know you really could have high stakes and and big drama even deep space nine though i felt they pulled the core out of next generation to a degree like i didn't feel that sense of exploration because you were on an outpost there which was stationary and you were having things come at you as opposed to going out and looking for which that was a big problem and i think they solved it with the dominion war because deep space nine was kind of getting stale because you couldn't have those kind of stories (laughs) Sure. And like, you know, they I don't think they got as much knowledge or a mileage out of the noir aspects of that setting, the Casablanca aspects like that never really connected because the Bajorans are kind of dumb. Yeah, no, nobody really cared about the Bajorans. Yeah, and the Bajoran Cardassian thing was just was essentially over at the beginning of the series. And they kept the kept wanting to make it a thing. I and But they, they went through the Dominion War. But yeah. Voyager just went straight back to the worst crux. Yep. crutches of tng and then the enterprise was just stupid 
So, it was, it, Voyager was forced exploration, right? Yeah. That's not what we want. Yeah. We want exploration for the sake of broadening our horizons. Yeah. And that's what made TNG so great. And I just feel like they lost that. And there was no period. stakes. Like, I didn't care about any of those characters. I didn't really care about them getting back. And to a large extent, I don't yeah. think Janeway cared either because she had multiple instances of <laughs> shaving off years of her trip and she decided not to for reasons somewhat logical and noble and some petty and irrational. But. Yeah. You know, the fact that, that a single starship can hold off not only the not only the Kazon, which was already like these big dreadnought type things, but also the full might of the Borg Empire and the and full might of an empire that's even one, stronger two, than the nine, Borg. See, whatever it is. 90210. Yeah. Uh-huh. It's just dumb. So like if so you want, dumb. I guess I'm interested in Worf's Klingon opera that might be coming down the pike with cbs i guess it's connected to (laughs) maybe but i would really like to see like a far-flung humanity struggling with some kind of singularity some kind of ascension yeah what that's like like kind of a haves and haves nots like you know i mean they could even do more social commentary stuff along the lines of how do we get along with these races exactly it's always been a military kind Mm. of feel to it um even in next generation like they were interacting militarily but not very much diplomatically yeah it was more like with all the we already have our territory everybody's gonna stay in it and when they don't send a bunch of ships and kill everything yes as opposed to like the idea of working together as an intergalactic sort of consortium you know sure and they never really played with the idea of truly alien cultures it's like True. You know, everything's humanoid. Or it's like everything was clearly inferior to human. Like anytime they ask a question, it's like, well, that's just the way we live. We like to execute people for random, uh, <laughs> uh, irrational reasons. We like to, you know, yeah. it's like this guy's got a black. I, some of that stuff was interesting in social commentary, but I think it'd be interesting to actually, like something I've been thinking about with this Matrix deal. Like, how do you judge the machine's conduct by human standards? Like, you know, I've been talking on the forum about, like, you know, why are we moving away from eating animals? It's purely for sentimental, emotional reasons. Yeah, I think it's because people value life. But that's there, there is no intrinsic logical reason to do that. No, I would probably agree with that, yeah. So if you're talking about the machines, absent logic or emotion and sentiment, like, are you can you say they're truly evil for enslaving us? Or also mm, with the that's, backstory, that's the question. with this backstory, of the Animatrix, where like the humanity kind of was the aggressor of this war. Yeah, yeah. Like think of all the atrocities we've excused because we've been on the winning side of a brutal war of a more evil care. We are the Nazis in the Animatrix. Yeah. So the machine's treatment of us is kind of remarkably humane. And 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 honestly, <laughs> you can almost see it as like a wildlife preserve because the, if the machines just did their own thing. With their form of fusion, they could have let humanity die, but they kept us alive like we interpreted it as some kind of, um, you know, overt, like horrific form of slavery. But maybe they've got other ideas like they're trying, uh, you know, like I said, this is all stuff you have to read between the lines. But I think that's a lot more interesting than just dude with different shaped ears or wrinkly foreheads with very obviously inferior worldviews than progressive humanity. Like really alien cultures that you guys like. Almost like with a, entirely different values, right? And, and how can you say that that's clearly better or worse than what we have? Yeah, it's different. They do um, some of that, like there's some interesting stuff with the cloning and interesting things with like. Uh, I mean, the Borg is a good representation of that. You know, uh, getting everybody homogenized into kind of one true. 
single thinking being. Right. And they um, did. That's a very different way. They did with like some of the iBorg episodes, try to humanize the Borg and try to get you to see a little bit of that perspective. But it also made it seem like the Borg were still this nightmarish thing. Yeah. Yeah. But yeah. I mean, I, that's a very human perspective. It's, it's sometimes hard to step outside of that, right? Yeah. Like, but I think that's what Trek If you put that do. on the screen, would people even be down with that? Unless Star Trek is becoming an every three year action movie, it needs to do that to being, maintain relevancy. I feel like it's become that. Well, I, I don't know that then, I... Then Star Trek can just stay off the air as far as I'm concerned. Yeah, me too. I, I have very little interest in what Star Trek has become. If they were to have some kind of renaissance where they brought it back to what it was originally, which is that sense of exploration and uh, you know expanding of humanity, I think that would interest me a lot more than you know action flick of the week. I'm not... Yeah. I don't care... Like. I don't care to see Kirk and Spock and McCoy doing things in scenarios that have, you know, no message to them. It's literally just an action movie. I don't I don't care about that stuff. Yeah, I'm trying to think of what the causes that they can get behind nowadays. And they're just not as like, you know, ending racism and homophobia and classism and stuff like that or everything. can. But now you're talking about like terrorism and police states and yeah. uh you know global like, omnipresent you know uh one directional surveillance mm-hmm. and privacy issues like is I star trek is star trek equipped to deal with those issues and still feel like star trek i don't I, know i think is. we should write a script we should write a script a we should script? present it to paramount we should say and also here's what we want to do but that's what i'm saying i'm not saying you can make a gritty like can you make can you make a gritty star trek Star Trek's got a – if it's not utopian at its heart, then it's uh-huh. not really Star Trek. It's I agree. something else. But that's how you get the dystopian elements in there is through other species, right? Like going to other planets, exploring the galaxy, the, mm. the universe, and and finding these places that are less advanced than we think we are. So you're essentially redefining what Star Trek means, which I guess Deep Space Nine kind of sort of did. Like Deep Space Nine was a grittier – more oh it definitely was yeah yeah but it was also you had the same kind of utopian we don't use money and you know you people dealing in latinum are so backwards and you know this capitalism is disgusting stuff like that yeah i just i don't think that you know the core message needs to be changed of like advancement and and moving toward a place where everybody is happy and understands each other and gets mm. along I don't think you have to change that message to modernize Star Trek in a way that's satisfying to the people who like the old series. Yeah, because, you know, a lot of stuff like, you know, could you take on some stuff in the Middle East conflict with, you know, but but that's too, like, you could do a very surface, like, this guy's side of his face is white, and this guy's side of his black, and this other guy's the opposite, so we hate each other. That's such a facile... That's 60s shit. I know, but I'm saying is that's such a oversimplification of the issues that it's not even meaningful. It doesn't tell you anything. Like you'd have to be able to really get into the nuances of oh, yeah. why fights and conflicts are happening. If you wanted to make real life analogs that actually get people to think. And I don't you know, Star Trek's never been about that. Star Trek's have been more, you know, sweeping generalities. And as we get, you know, as, you know, that's the thing, like as life gets more and more better and we get closer and closer to a Star Trek ideal, which, you know, people might be like, what the hell are you talking about? But, you know, I'm going from just basic quality of life. There's movement. I was thinking about that in the shower today. Um, 
if you could be born at any time in life, if someone put a gun to your head and said, I'm going to, I'm, we're going to restart your life and you're going to be born as a random person. You don't control what class you are. You don't control what race you are. You don't control your gender. You don't control your sexual orientation. Pick a time to be reborn in. Can I pick the future? <laughs> well, you could. I think it's going to get better. But You could, but an asteroid could come destroy yeah. us tomorrow. Sure. So like, and then I'd be dipping my hand into goo, hoping that exa- stuff would come back. I'm thinking like I would want to come back today because as bad as some yeah. people still have it is, they've there's never Your been odds a, are much better across the board. Everything is getting better. Violent crime is going down. Education is going up. Standards yeah. of living is going up. So we are on that trajectory of utopia if we just keep at it for a couple of hundred more years and we can solve some energy crisis and a bunch of, you know, zero-sum sure, game. Sure, we don't destroy ourselves, all that stuff. No <laughs> asteroid smacks yep. into us. But I'm just saying, like, I don't know. Like, as you get further and further and, and the issues of the day are less and less, you know, you know, it's like first you had to fight against slavery and then you had to fight against, you know, civil rights. And, and now we're talking about civil rights of ever smaller groups of of minorities and and less obvious and odious forms of racism become like yesteryear. And now it's like you're, you're finer and finer splitting of the hairs. Um, I'm not trying to say that to denigrate those struggles. I'm just saying that as you get closer and closer to an ideal society how where is star trek you know where does star trek live in that like it might be hard to do that it it might be i think i think you can deal with different issues though and you don't like yeah they're more nuanced and they're not as like obvious as a race which is half black and half white like yeah, yeah that's that type of stuff won't fly anymore but there's still a lot of issues that we're struggling with new issues old issues and like you know something like what you you know what Star Trek did with like you know what was it what does a artificial intelligence look like run amok or what do we yeah. look like how do we interact with an artificial intelligence what about a super because like even data is superhuman but barely like but what if you had like yeah. something that's just clearly smarter and better than you like why are humans running the Federation when you've got data around sure like I get he's just a single positronic brain and there's some kind of bullshit reason that the days can't make more of him or he can't make himself but like but you can hook him up to all the systems yeah like he could he could run the enterprise by himself oh yeah With except ease. for away team missions that's the only thing he'd you know but yeah he you could just plug him in um i just i'd like to see them maybe start looking forward like stuff yeah. about ethics about yep. you know eugenics and things like that and i know they I've done all that shit too. It's like God, maybe they that's have, a thing. But, they just with twenty some years of their twenty some seasons of Star Trek, they've just done everything you can do. But you don't think you'd be interested in something that's an updated view on a take on a subject they've already approached? It's all about the care. Can like, they nail the like characters? Like if you look at racism and it's a much more subtle, nuanced thing. Yeah, it's, it's not a, so black and white. Episode. Yeah, yeah you, you don't have these guys running around like. Oh, the Klingons are black and the Klingons are bad and yeah. all these things. This guy's forehead ridges are be like this, and this other guy's forehead yeah. ridges be all like that. But yeah. if you had a more nuanced view on the same subjects, I think mm. I think you could get away with it. I, I I would be more interested as long as they keep the heart of Star Trek, which is that positive, forward thinking. Well, here's the other thing: view. The, the, you got to nail the characters, and every iteration of Star Trek I've ever seen, they never got it right in the first first few early going. Like the chemistry of Kirk, Spock, McCoy is probably the best from the gate. But the first season of Star Trek, The Next Generation, is terrible. And the season two is is. barely better. 
Um, and same thing about Deep Space Nine. The first season, Deep Space Nine, is mostly garbage time. Voyager mm-hmm. was gar. Uh, I don't know that we had the patience to let a show like okay, the core concept of this is cool, and we haven't seen kind of big budget special effects for a while. So yeah, well, it's either this or Babylon Five, or this the makeup's worse. And the plot may be better, but the special effects are terrible. I'll stick with Star Trek. I don't know that we have the patience for that. Too much other good stuff out. And so they'd have to nail the characters and have them be interesting amongst themselves first and foremost and then be able to tell fresh plots on top of that. That's a tall order to ask. Would would you make it serialized or would you make it episodic? I think the X-Files approach. Okay. Or the Deep Space Nine approach, An interweaved, where, serialized narrative, where you can with... do the, because the serialization, the, the the episodic lets you do weird one-off things that you don't have to worry about major re- repercussions. But then you also have a way for the characters to grow and evolve over time. Yeah, I think the X Files blended approach would be would work really well for that. I mean, you can see in this finale that that kind of happened in Star Trek organically, you know? It, it wasn't sure. necessarily a thing where they said, okay, here's here's the timeline, and we're plotting out this grand arc for everything. Sure. They did it in some ways with Picard and the Borg yeah. and, and small chunks, but overall you feel a definite difference in these characters, and I think that's the thing that holds Next Generation together is this family. Mm-hmm. There's this idea that this crew is something special, and uh, – you get to see the beginnings of that mm-hmm. and the endings of that in this finale, and that's what makes it so perfect for me. All right. Uh, do you have anything more you want to say about Star Trek or this episode in particular? Uh, I've said all there is to say about Star Trek, <laughs> period. So, no. Uh, we are going to start Starlog up again. We're going to start publishing a new <laughs> by bald move. There will be no problem with copyrights, uh, and we'll have a monthly article about all things Star Trek. We're just going to do a random memory alpha article once a week. And yeah. we're just going to read it into the microphone as a podcast. <laughs> and I'll critique it. Okay. I'll point out the factual errors and, and inconsistencies <laughs> that they have. Yeah. Um, anyway, thanks, thanks, Jamie, for uh, forcing us, but for, for, for throwing us in this briar patch. Uh, it's been a lot of fun to revisit this. Uh, you have very good taste, and I hope you uh, feel like you got what you're, you're wanting from us. Um, if you'd like to find out how you can commission your own podcast, you can go to baldmove.com slash shop. Right? Yeah, that'll work. Um, and find out, uh, click on the old commission podcast. It's a big movie looking real. You can find out uh, how much it's going to set you back, one half of an arm and or leg, and yeah. uh, you know what kind of terms and conditions and how you can make that happen. Um, it's all right. Now that we're living in a moneyless society, Yeah, all of this stuff is free. I so. mean, we just essentially go up to the, uh, uh, the matter uh, replicator, replicator yeah. and say, uh, you know, podcast, custom commissioned i say hot i say clone hot and i have him do the podcast <laughs> there you go there you go um but yeah thanks thanks for uh commissioning this uh, jamie and uh, we'll be back we've still got quite a ba- backlog um we'll be coming back uh, in the next week or two with another one until we get caught up we maybe never get caught up we need anti-time to go back <laughs> we, do. we do so that's it all right thanks see you next time bye-bye